With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello. Hi, is this Ron? It is Ron. Hey, Ron. Jay Howman. How are you doing today, man? Hello, Jay. I'm doing fine. You're safe. I'm talking. I'm talking to Jay, actually, right now. Yes, sir, you are. All right. I didn't know who I had to ask for except for you, so I'm glad you answered. Yep, I'm the I'm the one and only host of the show, one-man show. I do all the recording, engineering, producing, all that kind of good stuff. All right. And so where are, where are we speaking to you? I'm actually uh, in Zephyr Hills, Florida, just outside of Tampa. Okay. All so right. we are... Just uh, we're in the Central Florida area, and um, I know that you're calling in from Texas. So, well, I live in Dallas, but I'm in Houston. We did a, a fundraising event last night for the homeless here in Houston, and uh, have another event tonight. So, I'm I'm speaking to you from a hotel in Houston, Texas. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, what we're going to do today is this this interview is pre-recorded, so we're not uh, live on the air or anything. And my goal is, and I, I told uh, Ben that we'd probably be um, airing the interview uh, probably the first week of May, because we've got okay. our schedule pretty pretty far ahead of time. 
Um, but right. What we want to do today, obviously, is uh, you know talk about the new book, working our way home, and then um, obviously people are going to want to hear about same kind of different as me, and uh, you know just your relationship with Denver and your late wife, and you know kind of kind of what the impact that you want people to see after they read you and Denver's book. So that's basically what we're going to be um, focusing on today. All right. I think I have the answers. <laughs> All right. And by the way, I got it, it's funny because I had gotten a copy. I didn't get a chance to see the film when it was in the theaters. Just uh, so, so much going on when it hit theaters. And um, I got, they sent me a copy of the movie uh, like a month ago. And I just, with school, I'm a school bus driver by trade. That's what my full-time paying job is. Uh-huh. So it's just been crazy busy, and I finally got a chance to sit down and watch the film, and it's, it was just a, an incredibly moving film. So well, I actually watched it with my 11-year-old daughter, and I told her, I said, you see the guy there, character named Ron? I'm actually going to talk to him tomorrow. So she's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was a great film. So we'll go ahead and get started because I know you probably got lots of stuff to do today. All right. Let me get my recording started here. Well, last year, a film hit theaters called Same Kind of Different as Me, and it's a touching film that follows the story of a husband who must befriend a dangerous homeless man in order to save his battered marriage. The film stars Greg Kinnear, Renee Zellweger, and Jaman Hansu, and joining me on the line today is real life Ron Hall, who is portrayed by Kinnear in the film. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Jay. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, we appreciate you coming by. And Ron, I guess my first question is for you. For those of, that might be listening in today that are not familiar with you, your story, or the film, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I was uh, an international art dealer and traveled the world buying and selling great masterpieces of art. Um, I was uh, in a in a loving marriage that I chose to uh, attempt to walk away from. But, uh, you know, through my wife's uh, Christ-like forgiveness, uh, she forgave infidelity and uh, that I was experiencing. And for that... Uh, forgiveness, I vowed I would do anything that she asked me the rest of our lives together. And so all of a sudden, uh, my, uh, my, my mind and my heart and everything switched from art to humanity as she asked me to begin serving in a homeless shelter to find this man that she had a, a literal dream about. So uh, that's just a little bit of background information on me. I was not, uh, I tell people we were both living purpose-driven lives. Uh, her purpose in life was serving the Almighty God, and my purpose in life had been serving the Almighty Dollar, and that's when our paths took a, a vastly different direction. But uh, God uh, brought us back together through uh, her Christ-like forgiveness when she threw my sin as far as the East is from the West. So. Well, that's awesome, and uh, the film is actually based on the book that you and Denver Moore co-wrote, and can you tell us about the first time that you met Denver? And, you know, I, I know in the film, uh, it, you know, it touches on the first time that you guys met. But tell us about the first time that you had met Denver more and how your friendship, how your friendship grew over time. 
Well, uh, you use that term loosely, Jay, of how I met Denver Moore. <laughs> my, uh, my late wife, that's a spoiler alert, you know, she's no longer with us, she is in heaven. And, uh, but my uh, wife at the time, was, was uh, she had a literal dream about a homeless man, so she asked me to go with her into this uh, homeless shelter. Actually, she asked me to go with her to the inner city of Fort Worth, Texas, to look for this man in her dream because she believed her dream was from God and she believed, uh, she said it was like a verse in Ecclesiastes where Solomon wrote, there was found in the city a certain poor man who was wise and by his wisdom, our city and the lives of the people there were changed. And so um, uh, because she was so sure her dream was uh, literally from God, she saw the man's face, but she knew she would recognize him if we could find him. So we began uh, driving around the city, searching uh, for this man in her dream. And we didn't see him, so we just stopped in at a homeless shelter and began serving an evening meal there. And we'd been there a couple of weeks serving. Uh, everything was kind of going well. You know, when I first showed up there, I was not really uh, happy about being in a homeless shelter. I was uh, uh, too uh, self-important, you might say, to uh, to be spending time there. I, I was very arrogant. I had... Uh, I had an attitude about homeless people, and, uh, and so I, it was not something I was happy to be there. But in fact, the first day I asked the uh, the cook in the kitchen, I said, "Are there any infectious diseases floating around this place that I should know about?" And uh, and he said, "Absolutely." He said, "We try to infect them all with love." And I thought, "Oh, this is a smart aleck if I ever met one." And so. Uh, Anyway, but by the second week, I was beginning to get over, you know, my attitude and was beginning to enjoy my, my time there when all of a sudden we were serving the evening meal and this giant-looking African-American man with no shirt and no shoes and just some raggedy old unzipped britches just barges in the back door and starts screaming he's going to kill everybody in the place. He said, I'm going to kill whoever done it. I'm going to kill whoever stole my shoes. And, uh, and my wife started to say, that's him. And I said, that's who? She said, that's the man I had the dream about. And I said, which one? She said, the one threatening to kill everybody. And then she looked at me. By that time, I was on my knees trying to hide. And, uh, and she looked down at me and she said, and I believe I heard from God that you have to be his friend and find out if my dream is really from God. And I said, but Debbie, I was not at that meeting you had with God. And if I'm going to be friends with someone who wants to kill everybody, I think I should go talk to God myself. So that's how I actually met Denver, but I didn't really meet him. I just saw him for the first time. <laughs> well, that's incredible. And, and you watch the film, and, you know, if, if what happens in the film when he first comes in there is uh, anywhere close to what happened in real life, that, that would actually be pretty scary. And, you know, like you said, you were – you were used to to dealing with expensive art, and here you are in a homeless shelter, uh, serving you know what the Bible calls the least of these. And um, it's just just throughout the film, it's just incredible uh, of of the relationship that starts from that meeting there, or as you would call it, this first time you saw him come into the to the homeless shelter and. You know, I it's it's really amazing uh, when you when you read the book and when you see the film, just the kind of friendship that you guys uh, had. Even though it started like that, it was one of those things to where you look at this and you're like, how in the world 
can so can two people that are so different from each other come together and have a friendship like this? And you you were friends with with them for for a long time until he passed away in 2012. And uh, Miss Debbie uh, passed away as you mentioned, but she didn't get a chance to see this book being made and the film that followed up. What do you think Miss Debbie would think? of the book and the film uh, and the connection that you had later on with Denver, um, you know, af- after she passed on to go be with the Lord? Well, uh, Jay, uh, it was Denver who became, you know, it was, took me five months to actually, uh, after that first encounter, to have to sit down and have breakfast with him. But I pursued him almost daily at her insistence through the inner city of Fort Worth until I finally took him to breakfast one morning. And I found out that he had grown up on a plantation in Louisiana. He had never been to school a day in his life. He had never been given the opportunity to go to school. In fact, uh, he had been, uh, as an innocent 16-year-old boy, he had been roped and dragged by the Ku Klux Klan for helping a white woman change a flat tire on the plantation. So he had made a vow. In fact, the Klan extracted a promise from him that he would never again speak to a white woman or look a white person in the eye. And he had lived that promise from 16 until 62 when he had been living on the streets for 25 years by a dumpster. And he had been he – had, he had extracted that promise. I mean he had uh, kept that promise uh, to himself. So you know, he was not uh, really looking for any friends at, at that time. He uh, – he, uh, and, and so he was afraid to be our friend and, uh, and didn't really want to be our friend. But at Debbie's insistence, you know, uh, he became our friend. And uh, and I can tell you that her final words to me, because uh, Denver was the wisest man I've ever known, and he had a spiritual connection. I, I called him a spiritual savant because he knew nothing about real life. Uh, he knew nothing about sports, of current uh, of politics, or, uh, you know, any news events because he didn't watch the TV. He didn't read. He didn't read. And so... All he knew about was his spiritual relationship with God. And so, uh, you know, it was for, for him to, uh, to, you know, accept friends when he had no friends uh, and wasn't looking for any friends. It was, uh, it was just an extraordinary thing. So for him to become my friend was something that was so foreign to him as well as to me. But, uh, he even was the one who told us that uh, what was going to happen to Debbie and when it was going to happen. And even on the last day of her life, he said, this is, the, this is it. This is the day God's going to take her to heaven. But her final request to me was, please don't give up on Denver, that God is going to bless your friendship in a way that you can never imagine. And so looking down from heaven, I really believe that she orchestrated this friendship because, uh, if you, you, of course, you saw our film, uh, you read our book, and you know that initially uh, I did I did exactly what she told me not to do. I went away for five months and uh, just to kind of regroup my thoughts and begin to write down and try to tell the story before I forgot all the important details of it. But uh, you know I think the Holy Spirit prompted me to go back and get Denver the way she had told me to not give up on him. So I went back to Fort Worth, Texas, and 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 got him and asked him to move in with me. And he lived with me then for more than the next 10 years until he joined Miss Debbie in heaven. And during that 10 years, he and I wrote this book, co-authored the book. In fact, our book became the number one New York Times bestselling book 
And there's something that's very strange about that is that he became a New York Times best-selling author and is the first in the history of the New York Times who did not know how to read and write when he wrote his book. Now, think about that. So. <laughs> but uh, we stayed on the New York Times best-selling list for three and a half years. And even when our movie came out uh, last year, we were back at number one on the New York Times best-selling list. But I know that uh, Debbie would be uh, thankful that I had kept my promise to her, and and that I would um, that I that I did not catch and release Denver, as you've seen from and if you read the book, and know that uh, we had what we call the catch and release friendship. I promised not to be uh, as the kind of fisherman that would catch and release. So you know we we stuck together, and that's why I'm talking to you today is because uh, this man hooked me, and I was and when he hooked me, I I was. Uh, I, I was hooked, so we, we stayed, remained friends through the rest of his life and lived together for, for almost 12 years. So, Amen, and that and that's really a story that only God can orchestrate, amen? <laughs> exactly, yeah, and that's what uh, a lot of people, you know, that see or hear the story, they do, really don't know what it's talking about. They believe that I rescued this uh, this poor homeless man. When it's just quite the opposite. He rescued me. He saved me from myself, from my, my arrogance and self-centeredness, and and he helped ground me. And so it was. Uh, it's a it's a story, really a remarkable story of how a homeless man saved me. But and, you know, if you if you've read our new book, you know, uh, working our way home, uh, you know, the subtitle is a, a homeless ex-con and a grieving millionaire thrown together to save each other. Because that's really we were thrown together into that situation to live under the same roof and trying to figure out uh, how people who were so vastly different could live together and coexist and and go out in the world and make a difference. And so, uh, so I think that the story that uh, that comes away from our from our film is that it's it's not the color of our skin that divides our nation. It's not the language we speak. What really divides us is the condition of our hearts. And both of us, Denver and I, had to get our hearts right uh, in order to be able to coexist and under the same roof for all of those years and then to go out and really make a difference uh, in our communities and in our world. So that was what we saw that to do. So. Amen. Well, one more question about the film before we jump over to the new book. Um, you know, I ask people this question who have had someone portray them in a movie and, you know, after – seeing the finished film, uh, what was it like seeing Greg Kinnear portray you on film along with uh, Renee Zellweger and Jaman Hansu? Well, you know, it's very, very surreal to, <laughs> to uh, you know, see a film. Actually, well, I was I wrote the screenplay uh, along with a couple of friends of mine. I, and uh, so, you know, I knew what was going to happen all along. I was on set every day and, and I was part of the process of choosing those actors to play me. Actually, Greg Kinnear is a very nice guy. I had to teach him how to be an arrogant, self-centered person and had to coach him daily because he generally is, uh, you know, maybe he didn't know how to be that uh, nasty and that bad, but it was was surreal. You know, you're on set and they're they're calling for uh, the actors and they call them by the names of the character they're portraying. So they would say, we need Ron. And I said, no, here I am. They said, no, 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 we need the other Ron, you know. So we need the real Ron. I said, no, I'm the real Ron. You know, it was just, it was just weird. But, uh, <clears throat> and then 
when all of a sudden you're seeing it on the big screen and they're using your names and your wife's names and your family's names. And it's just, it was just very, very, very strange. But ultimately, you know, what I really wanted to do was make a film that became more than just a movie. It became a movement. Uh, it, would be, it would become something that would inspire people to leave the theater and, uh, or leave the comfort of their home and go out into the community and, and with an act of kindness begin making the difference. So, Well, that's incredible. Well, Ron, fast forward to this year. Uh, you have released a new book called Working Our Way Home, and the book is uh, one of many that features uh, you in Denver. And this, this film, like you said, the subtitle of the film is The Incredible True Story of a Homeless Ex-Con and a Grieving Millionaire thrown together to save each other. Can you tell us about the new book and what readers can expect from it? Well, if you've seen the film and, and read the first book, same kind of different as me, uh, this is the continuation of the story. This is that the, the, the book and the movie cover two-year time period from the time I met Denver until the time that Debbie dies. This book covers the next uh, more than 10 years when Denver and I <clears throat> were together living together as best friends. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, we take tragedy and triumph. We take, we take black and white. We take poverty and wealth. We take uh, a faithful wife and a cheating husband, and we mix them all together in a, in a two-hour film and put out a really a message of hope and redemption that, you know, if, if so many people in America saw this, we would really see, I think we would see, uh, a change in the attitudes of, uh, of people in, in America. You know, we, we, we show uh, things that we, we, we bring out um, the homeless, and we, there's a film about, obviously, this incredibly wise homeless man and, and a godly woman uh, who is doing the, the, who's being the hands and feet of Christ on the streets. But, you know, one of the great things about this film and where we got, I mean, this book is uh, working our way home, where I got the story is one of the first days that, uh, that Denver and I became friends after five months of pursuing him. And I'm sitting on the curb with him, and I asked him, I said, well, what's it like to be homeless, Denver? And he looked at me with this strange look, and, and he paused for a minute, and then he, he pointed at me, and he said, well, whether we're rich or whether we're poor or something in between, he said, this earth ain't no final resting place. So in a way, we're all homeless just working our way home. And so that's where I got the title for the book, because we are all working our way home. And then he turned it to me and said, uh, he said, are you one of them Christians? And I said, yes, I am. I said, why do you think I'm down here on the street trying to help? And he started laughing and he said, no, you ain't trying to help nobody but yourself. Feel better about yourself because you probably ain't done nothing to nobody but yourself in so long that you got to make yourself feel better. He said, you ain't helping nobody by putting spaghetti on their plate or giving them a dollar bill. He said, if you're going to help somebody, you've got to crawl down the ditch with them. And when they're strong enough to crawl out on your back, then you helped them. He said, all you're doing is blessing, folks. But he said, we appreciate the blessing, but you ain't helping nobody. you just blessing them. And I said, well, thank you for that clarity. He said, but that's not what I want to know about you Christians. He said, there's something about you Christians that bothers all of us homeless people. And I said, well, what is that, Denver? And he said, well, we want to know why all you Christians worship one homeless man on Sunday 
then turn your back on the first one you see on Monday. And he said, you know, you never know whose eyes God is watching you out of. And it ain't going to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher. He said, it might be a fellow that looks like me. Now, he said, it ain't me, but it might be a fellow that looks like me, and God's using him to check you out to see what kind of Christian you really are. And Denver definitely had a way with words, and uh, sadly, he passed away in 2012. And, you know, Ron, after seeing the film, uh, which, by the way, Jimon did a phenomenal job at portraying Denver in the film. And one thing that I like about the book is that Denver's entries are written exactly how he talks, uh, which which you don't see much these days in, in books. And since this book is being released now, uh, six years after Denver's passing, what do you think his thoughts would be on this book and on the film? Well, I think he would be very proud of it. Uh, you know, we were under contract with another studio for our film, uh, and he was very excited about, uh, you know, that coming out and telling the story. You know, he he had been a, a recluse his whole life and really had didn't talk to anyone. And, and when the love of Christ that Debbie showed him brought him out of his shell and gave him hope and gave him a reason to live, and uh, – and so then all of a sudden he became excited to share uh, his story of hope and redemption. So he would have been very, very happy to see this film. But, you know, we were with another studio that changed the whole uh, story. And it, it, they made they tried to make a film that, had, that took God and Christ out of the film. They made it something that had nothing to do with our story, but we're using our title, same kind of different as me. And had my life rights and Denver's life rights to tell that story, and and I ended up having to sue them to to get our rights back because um, you know I couldn't let a story that was so far from the truth be told, and that would be dishonoring to my late wife Debbie and dishonoring to Denver and 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 my whole family. So it was a real battle to get the truth on the screen, and the the film that you saw is is the truth. So. Right, and that's and and it's Ron. It's really sad because these days you, and I've talked to a lot of Christian filmmakers uh, and you know directors who have have created films that are based on real life people, and Hollywood's a tough egg to crack. A lot of the time, uh, they want these encouraging stories, but they want the Christ and God elements taken out of the stories. And I'm really glad that you chose to fight to keep it in the story because I think that's really important. I think, you know, Christ is the key to the, to this whole story. And that's, and Miss Debbie saw that Denver saw that. And, you know, it's, I think this, this story is incredible. People need to see this. Um, and I always tell people, people are like, well, I don't want to see a movie because uh, rotten tomatoes or the internet movie database says it's a horrible movie. I'm like, just ignore that. They don't know what they're talking about. They're looking at it through the world's view, but look at it for what it is. These movies are encouraging, uplifting, and they're incredibly well done. And well, Gary you know, Sell, if you talk about Rotten Tomatoes, the, the critics that are, you know, I've met some of the critics that write these Rotten Tomato reviews. I mean, they are so anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-American. You know, if you're not blowing up the world and 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 promoting, you know, deviant lifestyles, they're not interested. In the films, you know. Uh, in fact, Paramount really didn't promote our film at all. They they were embarrassed by our film and thought it was too uh, too religious for the mainstream market. 
And uh, it's it's just insane how how the mind of Hollywood doesn't realize that apart from God and Christ, I mean, there's no purpose in life. And so we need to honor, and we need to uh, we need to celebrate the fact that you know I've worked with the homeless now for 18 years since I met Denver Moore. And let me tell you, there is no transformation of homelessness and, and the lives of homeless apart from a relationship with Christ. And so you, you can throw all the government money you want to at the situation, but apart from you know showing the love of Christ to them and, and the transforming power of a relationship with Christ, there is no change for homelessness, and there's no hope for homelessness. And that, that's, that you couldn't can be more true. And you know, to close, I and you mentioned this. You actually quoted this Denver's quote in the film, in which he says, "The truth about it is, whether we is rich or poor or something in between, this earth ain't no final resting place. So in a way, we is all homeless, just working our way toward home." And in closing, Ron, uh, with the film and with the new book, "Working Our Way Home," what is your biggest prayer that you hope people will take away after reading it? And seeing the film. Well, first of all, I I want to uh, the homeless to become uh, not invisible. I I want uh, people to begin to look them, look them in the eye. You know, uh, they all have stories, they all have names, and they're just waiting for someone to care enough to ask. But uh, mainly, I want to uh, to for them to learn that, like my friend Denver taught me, is not to judge. You know, one day when I was walking the streets with him. And I was just standing in judgment of so many people there uh, of, of the streets. And he saw me in, in that judgmental attitude. And he looked at me and he said, uh, what do you see down at the end of the street? And I said, well, you know, I see the courthouse. And he said, exactly. He said, let me tell you, Mr. Ron, the courthouse is full of judges. And God ain't looking for no more of them. He said, God is looking for servants. So if you're going to come down here and walk the streets with me, you leave your judge's robe back home and you just bring a servant's attitude. And I said, well, thank you for reminding me of that, Denver. And so that's the main thing I learned from um, from uh, Denver is not to judge the homeless. It's just to serve them and let God take care of the rest. But, uh, anyway, that's, uh, I, I, I uh, just want people to, to realize that, uh, you know, that they are real people and uh, they all have real stories and uh, just to sit down and have a conversation with them and uh, it can be life-changing for both of you that's right well ron thank you so much for joining us today on kingdom builder we greatly appreciate you taking the time to come by and talk with us today well thank you jay and bless you for having me on your show and i pray that people will uh, watch our film and be uh, moved to uh, an act of kindness and want to make a difference in, in their communities as well. So, Awesome. Well, same kind of different, both same kind of different as me and the new book, Working Our Way Home, are both available now. So go check that out. And thank you so much for listening in today. All right, that's where we'll end our interview. And uh, I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. I apologize for going over a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was uh, when when Ben had reached out to me to interview you, uh I was I was super excited because I had I have a friend um who runs a site called Jesus Freak Hideout. Um he actually met you guys on the set when they filmed the movie and he told me about the movie several years ago when they were on the set, but I guess that yeah. with all the delays and stuff, um he wasn't able to really tell me a whole lot about the film because 
because you know it hadn't hadn't been released yet. And I I know how that is because I was on the set of Courageous back in 2010 for a year. Oh, yeah. I didn't tell anybody about the film because it, it hadn't come out yet. So, but I I'm really excited about this film, and I've been telling everybody that I know that they need to see it. And like you were touching on the the films and stuff. Uh, I can only imagine just came out recently and that film is a testament on how powerful a Christian film can be in the mainstream market. That film is doing incredibly well. So I'm hoping, Ron, I'm hoping to see more movies like this because like you said, these, these are the kind of films we need to see. Hollywood needs to know that these are the films that we want to see. We don't want to see the, while I like the action movies, we don't need films that are just, uh, over-sexualized, and that seems to be uh, a lot of what we're getting these days. So this yeah. movie was definitely a breath of fresh air. I appreciate that. You know, it, it's really, uh, it was amazing that, of course, Paramount thought it was too religious, and it was embarrassment to Paramount because uh, they they don't like to do religious films or anything with a message like that. And so they turned it over to Pure Flix for distribution. Pure Flix told me that they thought it was not religious enough and was not Christ-centric. It was not gospel-centric, and therefore they refused to promote it to the churches, saying that churches wouldn't get behind it because it wasn't uh, gospel-centric. I mean, how can being the hands and feet of Christ on the streets and serving the least of these not be gospel-centric? <laughs> right, and, and you know, when I think, and I've talked to friends that are that are super conservative and stuff, and they told me when they see a film, and it's not to knock Greg Kinnear or Renee Zellweger, but when you see a film that they star in that's, you know, a Christian-based film, and then the next film they do uh, is is very, very far from it, I know that they get skeptical. And I told them, I said, you really need to take this by a case-by-case basis. Renee Zellweger, she's an amazing actress, and she may have done movies that are not exactly the most moral of movies, but she did an incredible job in this one and showed Jaman Hansu and as well as Greg Kinnear. So, you know, I'm looking at this on a film by film. I said, watch this film because the yeah. story is just really what needs to need to be focused on, not the actors and the actresses playing in the film. But I, I know that that's always an opposition anytime you see a film with big name actors because some Christians in the church are looking, okay, well, this is a Christian film, but what about all these other films they've done? So no, that, this that is, was this is why that was I got judge. too. <laughs> they should not judge because Renee Zellweger is someone who has her own gender. She cares. She takes care of a homeless woman in Santa Monica, California. She raises money for the homeless. And uh, yeah. even when the hurricane hit uh, hit uh, uh, Houston here last year, her Harvey, she came and spent two weeks here volunteering, just like anybody else. Like nobody even knew who she was, just on the streets volunteering and helping. She's an absolutely phenomenal human being. And when people, right. you know, they want to judge, this is one of the things <laughs> that, you know, that keeps people from wanting to be Christians is when the Christians get so judgmental that they, uh, that they turn people away. And this is why heavy. My late wife said when she went down on the streets of, uh, of, uh, of Fort Worth, Texas, to begin serving. And then when she met Denver, she said it was like, you know, the, what St. Francis of Assisi used to say, preach the gospel daily, and if necessary, use words. But, <laughs> Amen. You know, so she was just showing 
what Jesus would do without ever talking about him and let everybody figure that out. That was the message we wanted from our film. And yeah, unfortunately, absolutely. the conservative Christians thought it wasn't wasn't gospel enough, and Hollywood thought it was too much. So, <laughs> so. Uh, you can't you can't make everyone happy. Well, I I love the film. My daughter loved the film. She sat and watched it with me. And I, I, like I said, I think people need to be focused more on what the film's trying to convey as far as the message go. And I I thought it was I thought it was a great film. I thought the message rang very strong in the film and and I run a music site where I do music reviews and while we focus on message I make it very clear to our writing team that uh, a song doesn't even have to mention the name of Jesus or God to have an impact on people and I have I have to remind people that because they think oh Christian music should always say Jesus 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 Lord 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 I said no I said it's it's the impact that it can make on people when they listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to have an impact on people, not, yeah. not us personally. So <laughs> it's the same, same way with movies. God's going to use something. He's going to use it no matter who the actors are. And I, I think that's case in point with this. But it, it is, Ron, it is uh, very disheartening when you have, like, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff just bashing a film. And, and sometimes I wonder, did, did they even watch the movie? Or did they just read an excerpt of what the studio sent them and what the movie's about? And sometimes I, I think that's what happens. I think sometimes I, I question whether these people even watch these films. Well, there's no way they can watch every film that they that they that they rate because you know if they're trying to watch you know ten films and, and at one they just they can't get to that. I I, I yeah believe you're 100 percent right on that. So yeah so. Well, uh, thank you so much again, and um, you have my cell phone number. I've got your number here, so if brother, if you ever need anything from us, um, you ever have anything coming up, especially here in Central Florida, I would love to meet you if you're ever down here, and um, if you ever need prayer or anything, just reach out. I'm more than willing to do anything I can to help you and your ministry out. All right. Thank you for what you're doing, and I appreciate you getting the word out about our new book and then our film, so in the DVD. All right. Yes, All sir. Right. Well, take care, Ron. It was good talking to you, brother. All right. Have a blessed day, buddy. You right. too. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.